Hey everybody, welcome into the BSN Draft Podcast presented by Canyon Bakehouse. I'm your host, Henry Chisholm, and I am joined today by Andre Simone and Justin Michael will be jumping on later. Woo-woo! That was Andre. Uh, before we jump into the show, I want to tell you about the delicious, certified, gluten-free breads, bagels, English muffins, and other baked goods that are made right here in Johnston, Colorado. Canyon Bakehouse is gluten, dairy, nut, and soy-free products make it easy for families to enjoy the taste and texture of fresh bread so everyone can love bread again. Find them at any major grocery store in the freezer or fresh bread aisle or purchase them online and visit canyonglutenfree.com to grab a coupon. All right, so let's start by saying... That sounded delicious, by the way. Yeah, I know. I still haven't had a chance to try them. I keep waiting for when I get a chance to actually eat that bread so I can say nice things about it. But until then, I have to go by what I've heard about it in yeah. the ad read. Yeah, endorsements are intriguing, though, to say the least. I'm I'm already, like, just from reading it, it has gotten into my head, and I really do feel like I need to try it. He's foaming at the mouth, people. You can't see that's, it. But that's, he normal. Is, he is <laughs> that's normal. That's <laughs> normal. It's just how Hank gets when he talks football. Nothing new here. So here's how this draft podcast is going to work. We are going to pump it into the... BSM Buffs feed. This will be the Friday edition of the BSM Buffs podcast. Some some weeks will be Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We're figuring out a consistent mm-hmm. day. Same mm-hmm. thing with the BSN Rams. Yep. And then it is also going to be appearing in the Broncos feed for all you Broncos fans who are interested in learning about potential Broncos draft picks next year. Did you I get all it. that right, Dre? You got it right. I'm hoping to have some of the Broncos guys on during the season. AJ Hayfley has been my loyal co-host the last two years i'll get him on at certain points but since you're doing college football full-time we want to have you on as much as possible and justin on as much as possible as well so i'm just amped i love that we're back to covering college football in full and uh the draft pod makes even that much more sense but i i appreciate all of those who've reached out and asked about the draft pod you are very special people and hold a special place in my heart so thank you for that and it's college football season. We watched college football last Saturday night. What did you see? Facts. Uh, yeah, that Miami-Florida game was very intriguing. The top matchup I was looking at was uh, maybe not quite consensus, but I think he's considered to be, the, by the majority of people, the top cornerback in this class, C.J. Henderson, which depending on what happens with another C-H-J, he's C-J-H, this guy is going to be important to Broncos fans because the the Broncos could very much be in the market for a cornerback next year. And we know the Broncos need more speed at wide receiver, and that's where Jeff Thomas, ultra-talented Miami wideout, came into play. That head-to-head matchup was very intriguing. And honestly... Jeff Thomas underwhelmed at first. He fumbles a punt return. He didn't look great. Uh, Henderson was maybe a little underwhelming to start the game. Not overly physical. He struggled to get off his blocks and defending the run and what have you. Then he picked it up. He was more aggressive. His ball skills really stood out. Um, He did a great job with the prospect that was kind of the most noteworthy prospect in the game when those were the big names I was watching coming in was the sophomore tight end for Miami. I think two plays in, I was like, wait, who's this number nine? Uh, Good old Brevin Jordan, sophomore. So we'll have to wait a year. Uh, 
who knows by then uh, how many surgeries uh, Broncos tight ends could have by that oh point. Oh boy. But boy, it's just a rough time. just piling on this Brevin Jordan talk. Yeah. Like you said, he's a sophomore. Last year as a true freshman, he was second team all ACC. Crazy. So, I mean, he's a guy with some talent and it's very similar to CJ Henderson who you're talking about. CJ is a junior. He was second team all SEC last year and second team all SEC the year before as a true freshman. Wow. These are guys with pedigrees. These aren't guys who are jumping on the scene and surprising. They're kind of just doing what they're supposed to be doing. Right, living up to that hype, which can, all, which can always be so like flaky with the recruiting world. Like recruiting hype is kind of, you know. They're 18-year-old kids. They're 16-year-old <laughs> yeah. kids. <laughs> right, right, yeah. that we're projecting the whole hopes of a alma mater on. Um, so it's, those it's three guys were interesting to watch. It really stood out to me. Maybe one of the bigger prospects in this game was Jabari Zuniga, the defensive end slash uh, defensive end for Florida, but flashed more on the inside, which is another area where Denver could use some help. So that was intriguing. Um, so that's what we saw from week zero. I think he's another prospect you should keep your eye on as a Broncos fan because uh, guys like Wolf and Gotsis might not be around past this season. And yeah, then Florida's, uh, you know, P. Ryan, their running back, looked good in stretches. The O line didn't help him much. That was a big concern with the Gators. How do you pick on that? You both sides. You took Miami and Florida one. Yeah. But and they didn't cover you took the spread. Florida and Florida one. They did yeah. cover the spread. So, I mean, it was like a, it was a risky pick. And I didn't get it right, but I wasn't that wrong, you know. Like it, yeah. it leaned my way, so I, I can still feel all right about it. Uh, going back to Jabari Zaniga, though, where do you see him going? Because he he's more of a, a late round guy in the draft, uh, right? I think he could even work his way into that first round oh, mix. Really? Yeah, he's got that type of talent. Probably more of a day two guy right now. Okay, but you know it's early. We gotta. We've got a while to unpack all these guys and truly project where they're going to land. And both of those offensive lines, they were yeah, ugly. Not great. They were ugly. And so Zuniga plays pretty well, but at the same time, you have to be thinking, I mean, that offensive line had however many penalties. Was it 10 holdings, something like that? <sighs> 10 sacks. Ugly. It was 10 sacks. Ugly, man. Yeah. And so, another, so another guy, Ventrell Miller for Florida, who's kind of a linebacker, uh, he dominated on blitzes. Uh, yeah, the, uh, one of my notes says Gators had four sacks by the qu second quarter. Insane. Yeah, and and maybe that's because Florida just has an incredible pass rush and these guys who, you know, maybe they are first-round yes. prospects. Right. But at the same time, that could just be a, a bad Miami offensive line that doesn't have much chemistry. And well, when you look at the offensive line, you know, sophomore at center, redshirt freshman at right guard, junior at left guard, sophomore at right tackle, sophomore at left tackle. That's yeah. a young, <laughs> yeah. young group. And, I mean, this is a problem that all three teams in the feeds you'll be hearing this podcast, Rams, Buffs, and Broncos, are having. O-line help is yeah, needed for, for sure. all three teams. It's kind of an epidemic in football right now. O-lines just aren't good. They're not reliable anymore. This isn't a problem unique to our teams. This is a problem for everyone. There are three good offensive lines in the NFL. Oh, right, right. And yeah. it's, it's because where does the money go? The money goes to pass rushers. And so if you're a big guy, you're 6'6", 300 pounds, you want to get onto the defensive side of the ball where you can make some plays and earn yourself some money. Fair point. Well, and also these spread offenses, I get why they do it all the way back at the high school level, you know. 
because it's quicker to implement. It's quicker to find success, but we're not developing the fundamentals and it really shows in the more complex positions like the O-line and like quarterback where guys just aren't groomed. Their games aren't as refined as they need to be to get to that next level and be high-end pros. I hadn't heard that before, but it does make sense that those simplified schemes mm-hmm. focus on getting the ball out quick, mm-hmm. make one read and put the ball in the right spot. That, w- that would make it tougher for the offensive line. It's not worth dedicating the time to teaching them proper technique when the ball's out in a second and a half, two seconds anyway. Right, and you have systems like Washington State. Andre Dillard, who uh, first-round yep. pick for the Eagles, he never had to run block in his four years of college. Yikes. Yeah. I mean, that's 50% of your job (laughs) as an NFL offensive lineman. You've never had to do it in college. And that's got to make it so hard to recruit to those air raid schools when kids know. Yeah. I mean, unless you're a really good pass blocker and you don't want to put your run blocking on tape. But, I mean, it seems like you'd want to go somewhere where you can really show off and you kind of spiral. You start by picking Mm -hmm. that scheme and then your offensive line gets worse and then you spend less time on it. And that's where we get to 2019 where there are no good offensive linemen and yeah. it's it's causing problems as we move toward more spread type schemes throughout mm-hmm. football. Mm-hmm. Though this is a more encouraging offensive line class than we've studied in a while. And the flip side is RPO attacks. Those guys are just asked to pass block regardless yeah. or I mean run block regardless of if it's a pass or a run. And in theory like step 1 yard upfield and don't go past that <laughs> right, penalty. Right. But that's just a rule that isn't enforced. Which I'm told you guys have real trouble in Madden accomplishing that. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. That is a real problem. I don't think I we've talked about this. I surprised you there, huh? Yeah. No, that's a great pull. It's impossible. Like I, I love running the RPOs in Madden Who because it's, it? it's so simple. Yeah. It's so easy. You never make a mistake. You get single coverage with your like one receiver out to the left, hand off to the right while you're looking left, pull it. If uh, it's on the slant route, just dropping the ball so right. easy. But if you wait for a second – Offensive line's downfield, and it's a fifty or five-yard penalty. That's crazy. Yeah, it, it, it adds Funny. a new element to the yep. game. So, yeah, that's kind of Miami against Florida for you in week zero. That was the big matchup. I, I got to tell you, as an overall college football topic, I don't think the Gators looked all that great, even though they got the W. I agree. I agree. I mean, they should have beat the doors yeah. off of Miami. And Felipe Franks, their quarterback, just isn't at the level he needs to be. No, he isn't. Uh, they're going to be in trouble against teams like Georgia going forward in the SEC East, you know? I agree. Yeah. I really do agree. Uh, there was a second game Saturday, though, mm. the one that came on after everybody went to sleep. Or maybe you were just distracted by the great Broncos preseason game that was on. Whatever the case, it was actually a pretty decent game. It turned into a good game. It was exciting until the very end. Yeah. 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 Which, I mean, it's what you expect from these exciting offenses with two fun quarterbacks to watch. I don't know as far as pros go. Khalil Tate might have to change the role. The turnovers were too much. He put up insane stats, though. Um, You know, over 300 passing, over 100 rushing. Like, just another day at the office for old Khalil Tate. Cole McDonald might be the more intriguing pro quarterback, though. The I believe he's just a junior for Hawaii. Prototypical size, nice arm. I mean, a real cannon. Problem is, against Arizona, even though they get the W, he throws four interceptions. So you don't like to see that. No. I mean, I was really disappointed in Khalil Tate all the way through. Because, you know, I'm new to Pac-12 football. Sure. I, I caught a game or two, but I didn't actually sit down and think, okay, I got I to gotta see what's going on around the Pac-12. Yeah. 
And Cleo Tate was a guy who I was really excited to watch. You know, I'd watch the highlights. I'd mm-hmm. seen the, the diverse skill set that he has, all the different things he can do. Didn't didn't do it for me in that game, though. You thought yeah. coming back as a senior that he could kind of get rid of some of the mistakes, become a real dual-threat quarterback, you know, a, a Kyler Murray type. Mm-hmm. Maybe not quite as polished mm-hmm. because he just isn't that same. He's not that he's kind not of passer. He's not from that pedigree. Yeah. 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 But it was really disappointing to watch. Yeah, for sure. Uh, AJ and I, years ago when we started the draft pod, the first draft pods we would do were actually on hockey. And we developed a term, YouTube responsibly. Khalil Tate yeah. is a YouTube responsibly yep. kind of guy. Because yep. you see the highlights. It's like, oh, my God, he's better than Michael Vick. Exactly. Um, and sometimes he is. And Colorado fans, sadly, have had to learn this the hard way. But, yeah, he's a YouTube responsibly guy. Because he can be wildly inconsistent and isn't a great... You know, it's that old Vic Fangio, what he said about uh, Drew Locke, where he's like he's like a, a pitcher with a great arm but doesn't know how to pitch. Yep. And uh, that's kind of Khalil Tate for you. And you see it on that last play of the game when, what are they, 24 yards out? Yeah. Down four? Would he come like a yard short? He came a yard short. and <sighs> Brutal. You know, he probably shouldn't have gotten that far. You know, you're not you, just saying, no, we're just good. We're going to go with the legs here. That's our best option is to run 24 yards in one play. But but he had, <laughs> right. he had a chance like halfway through. He was up by the sideline. He could have yeah. stepped out of bounds and had another play at it from 10 yards out. <sighs> and it's fr- so close. And you can see how he's so electric that that kind of decision making almost works for him. Yeah. And from your running back, you might be able to stomach that. From your quarterback, who needs to be a little more cerebral, yeah, it's concerning. It is concerning. And, you know, Larry Scott just came out with some statement today. We're recording this on Thursday. You'll hear it on Friday. Talking about how they don't hire the coaches. They don't recruit the players or coach up the players. Basically taking a shot at his entire conference. Uh, I'm sure Larry Scott, Pac-12 commissioner, not happy to see Arizona lose in week zero. No. And, you know, I was having this conversation quite a bit with Ryan Konigsberg and Ali Monroy, who are both buffs. Yeah. Who both, you know, are big buff fans. And that means when they see Arizona play, they want Arizona to lose. I was like, no, we really, it'd be huge for the Pac-12. I mean, actually, no, it wouldn't be huge to be Hawaii. No, it's, it's just par terrib- for the course. It's just right. terrible if yeah. you don't do it. And now what? They've won one of their last six, the Pac-12 against the Mountain West Conference. Not good, man. That's it's, an awful look. It's a terrible look. That's a really bad look. And, you know, we, we we have the conversations about what does it mean if Oregon beats Auburn to start Pac-12 play? And all of a sudden, you know, the Pac-12 is a strong conference. That's a, one of the best Pac-12 teams knocking off one of the best SEC teams. Then we also have to say after that, well, actually, Arizona just lost to Hawaii, so... Mm-hmm. What really is going on in the Pac-12? Pac-12 yep. is in a bad spot, and they need to be winning these non-conference matchups if they want to get back to respectability. Especially against the Mountain West, man. It's so bad. Like, in, once in a while, a stud prospect comes out of Hawaii, like Marcus Mariota or Tua Tagovailoa. <laughs> you need to at least beat their home state school to, like, entice them to come to your conference. Yeah. Because that's a natural fit, like... Those guys should be, those Hawaiian prospects should be staying in the Pac-12. And they're not gonna when the conference is struggling like this. No. And, you know, when when we talk about why the Pac-12 is in kind of a bad position, why they don't get teams in the college football playoff, 
a lot of the people who are very high on the Pac-12, like Larry Scott did at Pac-12 Media Day, which I was out in Los Angeles for, he said it's because we have this long conference schedule. We play nine games, the rest of the team or the rest of the conferences play eight conference games. And it means that that's, you know, whatever, an extra week of losses, six extra losses that are being handed out to Pac-12 teams. And that's why it doesn't look so good. And you can make that argument if you're beating teams in these non-conference games. Right. That's how you set the stage. That's how you Right. You know, it's not that they're they're meaningless because they aren't in your conference. It's that that's what sets the stage for Pac-12 play. That's what kind of is the prelude with mm-hmm. what what determines which conferences are worth watching this season. Right. And I mean that statement really falls on deaf ears. This whole like, well, we're cannibalizing ourselves. Not really. You can't even beat the Mountain West, so maybe yeah. shut up, Larry sure. Scott. Like, <laughs> yeah. Pl- play another non-conference game against <laughs> right. a Mountain West team and lose it. Right. That'll look better. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you, it starts with winning these non-conference games. That's how the Pac-12 gets back to where it wants to be. You said one and nine? Oh, uh, I think they've won one of their last six. So is that one? Oh, okay. One and five. That win isn't Colorado over the Rams, then? No. No, it would have been... They probably right, right. They've probably played more in the last. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah, it's it's a problem. <sighs> Not good. Um, but so there's a little college football talk mixed in for you. It's time to take a second and acknowledge Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of BSN Denver. Hey Dre, what's the best uh, Breck brew? For me, Strawberry Sky. I'm very partial to some the Christmas uh, crispness that is Strawberry Sky. And Breckenridge Brewery just released the Colorado Core, which is an apple beer. I can't wait to try that. It's very good. There's a bunch in the refrigerator. I know. Our, our <laughs> fridge is stocked here at BSN uh, headquarters. I love it. We are it. so stocked. And I do like that beer. It's very apple though. And it's it's more sour. It, it almost feels cidery or like mm. seltzery. It's, it's less beery and more apple. Mm. Strawberry Sky is my favorite, too, because... It's just that tiny little touch of strawberry. It just tastes yeah. like beer, yeah, yeah, yeah. but then just for a half second after you finish tasting beer, you're like, oh, wait, there's some strawberry there, too. Such a great beer. Uh, if you guys are big beer people, it's a Kolsch ale, but basically it just means that's a summer beer. Uh, you guys have heard this read before. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> super light and delicious, yeah. My father-in-law's been in town. He's loved that our fridge is stocked know, with the too. Breck beers. Mine too. We have a shelf in the fridge that's all... Actually, there's a couple of white claws there, but the rest is just the Breck sampler, like the 15-pack yeah. sampler. Oh, those samplers are so core, good. Strawberry Sky, oh. yeah. I'm a big fan. So good. Vanilla Porter's yummy. Amber Ale's good stuff. The Avalanche. I like their lager, too. Yeah, I, I know. I, I guess I, maybe I'm a bit of a basic Vanilla uh, beer Porter. Drinker. It's surprisingly mm. good because I don't like that kind of beer. It's too oh, heavy. Oh, yeah, me neither. It's and yet the vanilla porter is incredible. Top notch. Okay, but also make sure you're looking out for the Breckenridge event calendar on bsndenver.com. It's where we put all of our watch parties, the bar crawl, whatever we have going on. Keep an eye on that. RSVP. We'll drink a bunch of Breck beers together. Hey, guys. It's Allie and Lindsay here, and we want to talk to you about our new favorite wine subscription. It is Weinster. The best thing about Weinster is that they work with small wineries. You know BSN loves supporting small local businesses, and Weinster is just that, supporting real people making real wine. These guys will curate a hand-picked shipment for you from the best small wine producers in the U.S. So my favorite part about Weinster is the fact that 
I don't really know much about wine. And when I go to a liquor store, I tend to gravitate towards the same wine I've always had instead of trying something new. But with Winester, they make the process so easy. That's exactly right, Allie. And from my perspective, you guys, I love wine and have tried so many different types of wine at different price points. And Winester is not only easy, but it is quite literally some of the best wine I've ever tasted, and it makes for an amazing gift. What's also ideal about Winester is that you can pick your shipments based on your schedule. That's right, Allie. So whether you're a casual drinker or you love hosting parties, you can get your shipment based on your lifestyle. So head to their website today, you guys. That's W-I-N-E-S-T-Y-R, Winester.com. We've got BSN25 promo code for you, and you can save $25 off your first order. Uh, welcome back in to the second segment of the first BSN Draft podcast of the 2019 football season. I'm Henry Chisholm. I'm here with Andre Simone, the nerd uh, for this kind of stuff. <laughs> he's leading the discussion, Fair. and I think he's doing a pretty great job. Wow. Lots of nice interesting of content. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I'm learning stuff. I'm helping out, teaching a couple things, but this is your baby. It is. It is my baby. Uh, it's got developed a bit of a cult following, so I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. And I'm I'm glad we're doing college football and can talk college football at large. I love it. I know you've uh, you might be sick of talking Rocky Mount Showdown, but we can talk about it a little more we from a draft a scouting <laughs> perspective. <laughs> we can talk a little bit more. In the second segment, we want to go through and talk about some of the big games in week one of the college football season. Yeah. Got to start with Colorado, Colorado State, and the Rocky Mountain Showdown at Mile High Stadium, 8 o'clock Friday night on ESPN if you guys don't want to make the drive out there, but you definitely should because it's a great environment, even if they don't let you buy beer inside. Uh, yeah, which is crazy. I've given my thoughts quite a bit on this m- matchup, so I'm going to let you start, Dre. What, yeah. what do you see? Well, it'll be interesting to see. Now, all these teams who've played Colorado before, they must have a game plan for LaVisca Chanel now. Yeah. They and this will be I mean, the first time we get better. to see what that is. Exactly. So you want to see the counter to that counter, right? I mean, yep. football, similar to baseball. It's all just a, a game of ebbs and flows. Every time someone's saying like, oh, the the running game is dead, then the counter becomes, oh, more nickel defenses. And then guess what? The counter to that is running the ball more. So we're constantly in an ebb and flow of back and forth and back and forth. And that's how it'll be with teams trying to stop LaVisca Chenault. Few teams were brutalized by Visca the way that the Rams were last season. 211 yards. Just, I mean. It's absurd. Yeah. That That's absurd. A baptism by fire for the Rams. Um, exactly. By LaVisca. And, and here's what I'll add to this. So we talked about what... You know, the the move, the chess move that Colorado State makes is and then what the counter will be for Colorado. I can add that Colorado is going into this pro-style offense. And from what I have seen and from what I've heard, it looks like the strategy, you know, you could build offenses different sorts of ways. A pro-style offense could be, you know, hand the ball off run up the middle, and then work the bootleg off of that. Mm-hmm. It, it could be, you know... Just a power eye, easy breezy. Exactly. It could be uh, built off of route concepts that will pull defenders in different directions, make the defender make a decision, hit the open receiver. Mm-hmm. What the buffs really want to do is get everybody's eyes on LaVisca, send him downfield, send him to the left, send him to the right, send him somewhere, and fill in that area that he left vacated where everybody is going to be following him just because he is so good. 
Fill that little space in with Katie Nixon or Dimitri Stanley, another receiver, and just make those short, easy passes in behind LaVisca. I think that that's going to be the core of this offensive philosophy. Right, and then will Visca get loose once KD and Stanley get hit for a couple quick hitters over the middle, and then boom, you fall asleep on Visca or don't give enough help because you don't want to give up that easy 10-yard gainer and zakate you're done yeah or you put him visca in motion and are you trying to move him around so it's hard to key in on how many wildcat looks will he get you know i talked to steven montez this will be in a a big board piece my inaugural big board that i want to publish uh by the time you hear this this should be online on the buffs broncos and rams feed and i talked to steven montez about some of the the, the criticism that lavisca has received in draft world as not being a great route runner or a complete route runner right now and not gaining a ton of separation he he kind of laughed off the ton of separation he said look he's a world-class athlete he gains plenty of separation and even when a guy is right on his hip he's so physical and has such amazing hands he's so good at the point of attack he's still coming down with that pass even if he's guarded tightly and on the route running he said look I don't think you're going to have those problems as much this year. I think that in this offense, you're going to see a lot more from him as a route runner. So I'm intrigued to watch all of that. I mean, clearly he's the biggest prospect in the state uh, by a good mile. He's the biggest prospect we've had in the state in a long, long, long time. Yeah, I don't even know how long. I mean, he's how how many better prospects are there in the Pac-12? Two? Three? Better prospects in the Pac-12? I mean, Justin Herbert's a quarterback. Yeah, I mean... So, so that helps. Herbert's the only guy you could make an argument for, I think. Uh, even the greatest LaVisca haters, I think, would have to agree that he is the second-best prospect in the Pac-12. And I'm not sure it's super-duper close after that. Bradley and I, maybe? Yeah, though, I, I gotta say, I, he seems super solid to me, but not, like... A stud. Um, some huh. people are high on Stanford tackle Walker Little. Yep. And, you know, because he profiles as a left tackle, he could go relatively high. I'm really high on Stanford cornerback Paulson Adebo. But, again, to me, none of those guys even come close to the type of status that LaVisca has as just an all-world type weapon. He's something we've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, let's jump into that matchup, that Utah-BYU matchup, which is tonight, Thursday night, which means you guys will be listening to this after it's already happened. So we're going to go through this quickly and just say what, what you hope happens for these teams, what you hope to see. And if something else happens and you guys watch it, then you'll know that that's, that was a problem. Yeah. This is another of those important out of conference games for the Pac-12. Yeah, BYU, sure. you know, that's that's a rivalry. This game's going to matter to them. Uh, you mentioned Anai already, their defensive end. They're credited as having maybe the best defensive line in all of college football. I think they do. I think outside of Anai, though, i got to see it more consistently. A guy I'm really high on is running back Zach Moss. I think this is, it, with all the hype around the wide receivers and quarterbacks, it almost feels like the running back class is getting lost in the shuffle a little bit. This is no joke of a running back class. There is a ton of talent at running back in this year's draft. 
Um, so I'm really excited to got to watch a guy like Zach Moss go go up in a big rivalry game like this and show off his talents. How does he compare as a draft prospect with uh, with Arizona State's Eno Benjamin? Yeah, um, Eno's a, a little smaller, compact, great contact balance. You know, a guy that's tough to knock down uh, because he's a little shorter, shiftier. Um, I think Moss is more that complete back. You know, he's uh, he's got more of that size, power, speed combination, and he's going to be huge for Utah. You know, quietly Utah has gained a lot of buzz. I mean, that they're kind of a dark incredible. horse to make it into the the you know the playoffs. Uh, the defense is incredible, yes. And then they've got that backfield of Tyler Huntley with Zach Moss. That's no joke that they're kind of going to r- try and ride I all think, the way to the tippy top. I think if Utah was more of a household name, if, if this was, you know, USC with with this type of talent i think that they would be getting a lot of hype for the college football playoff but just because we have never seen it from this team before yeah that people aren't willing to put their names on saying that utah is going to be there but you look at the defense so many guys back they they're they're one of the best in the country at every level of the defense Mm -hmm. which is just so rare usually there are holes somewhere but yeah, that's not the case. Yeah, cornerback Jalen Johnson is another guy I'll be watching for on the youth side. Talented, talented cornerback with plenty of size. Another guy to watch for Broncos fans. All right, another game tonight. Georgia Tech plays Clemson. Uh, we we know quite a bit about Clemson, whether it's Trevor Lawrence, uh, T Higgins, T Higgins, uh, Travis Etienne, or Etienne, I think it's Etienne. Etienne, yeah. Yeah, I mean. E.T. Those are some home. big names. That's I mean, how you remember it, Hank. E.T. E. Phone, phone Home. E.T.N. I'll remember that. I don't know. That's kind of stupid, but yeah. <laughs> Is there anything in particular you're looking for from these guys? Uh, it's just going to be nice to see this uh, consensus top team in the country go out and prove it. They've lost a lot of talent on the defensive side. Isaiah Simmons is maybe their most intriguing guy, uh, former safety converted to linebacker who's an all-world destroyer. Uh, we'll talk about him a little more in segment three and just see how they adjust to to Georgia Tech. They're always well-coached, but they're going through a transition, and they won't be that triple option juggernaut they've been in years past. You don't think so? No, uh, scheme conversion. Oh, that seems like so a bad idea. Another one bites the dust of the, the triple option, guys. Yeah. That's really too bad. Yeah, it is. It's true. Is there anybody on Georgia Tech's squad that we should be keying in on? We got to kind of unpack Georgia Tech. We're, we're going to see. But anyone has a big performance on Clemson, they'll they'll suddenly be on they everyone's will. radar. So They will. You know. Um, this is, <laughs> this is the game that I'm most excited for. Oregon-Auburn. Big one. We uh we maybe should have led with that. Yeah, this is a huge test for Justin Herbert. And that Oregon O-line. That Oregon O-line has a lot of talent, you know, similar to how the Utah defensive line seems to be highly ranked or ranked as the top unit in the country. I think the Oregon O-line is right up there as one of the top two or three. They had lots of injuries last year. They won't, I mean, Knock on wood for them. They won't this year. Uh, they start the season healthy. Calvin Thorke Morton, which is, has there ever been a better D, like right tackle name than that? Maybe not. Um, 
is really talented. Their inside linebacker, Troy Dye, uh, is another name to watch for in kind of a weak inside linebacker class. Uh, and Auburn's got talent on D led by, you know, Marlon Davidson's there, but the real stud is Derek Brown, who's just a mountain of a man and moves so well. Um, how Herbert handles the pressure, handles being able to zing balls in tight windows, the speed of the game and everything, this is going to be a huge, huge test for him. I'm so excited to watch. This is the game. I mean, of course, Rocky Mountain Showdown I'm excited for, but Oregon-Auburn is Big time. One of the best matchups of the season, I think. Yeah. Uh, Northwestern plays Stanford. Yeah. Um, another important out-of-conference game for the Pac-12. Seems to be a theme this week. Yes. So they, they've got a lot to prove. Uh, Northwestern kind of surprised people last year. They made it all the way to the Big Ten Championship. They've got inside linebacker Patty Fisher. Um and he'll be tested severely by some of the talent that Stanford has, especially um, tight end Colby Parkinson. How he covers in his reps against Parkinson will be interesting. I'll also be looking at Walker Little, who I'm a skeptic about, but he's uh, the talent's there for Stanford's talented left tackle uh, to have a big year and vault himself into the top 20. Okay, moving along, we want to talk about Georgia and Vanderbilt. Yeah. You know, Georgia, at least what I'm most excited to see, is DeAndre Swift. I, I, for some reason, like, it's just the running backs that really catch my eye. Dude. Yeah. He reminds me of LaDainian Tomlinson, which is crazy to say, because LaDainian Tomlinson is one of the best football players I've ever seen. But that's who he reminds me of. And so I'm paying a huge compliment to the kid, uh, but... Yeah, do not overlook him. He's an absolute stud. Forget Jake Fromm. That's the real yeah. star on this offense. Well, and this is this is a Vanderbilt team that isn't too exciting to see. You know, you're coming to this game to watch Georgia probably, not to watch Vanderbilt. That almost adds more pressure onto a guy like DeAndre Swift to put up big numbers because if he doesn't take advantage of this game, that's, that's a big waste. Yeah, and it's still an SEC team. So, you know, this isn't exactly a cupcake. I'll really be interested on the other side of the ball to watch top tight end prospect Jared Pinckney for Vandy. Um, yeah, Swift has to have a big game to kind of maintain that that hype. I think I'm higher th on him than just about anyone. He's in my top 10 personally. I haven't seen ranked really in the top 20 by most people. I don't know what they're seeing that I'm not. Um, and this this O-line for Georgia is really talented, too. They're probably going to be right there with Oregon to be the top offensive line in the country. Um, they're led by Andrew Thomas, really talented left tackle, an absolute ass kicker in the run game um, with all the talent in the world to be really good as a pass protector as well. And then you have Isaiah Wilson at right tackle who has all the physical tools he just can look sloppy sometimes. But I've seen guys like this. They look sloppy until the, something just clicks, like Juwan Taylor did for Florida last year. So watch those two tackles for Florida. Watch Jake Fromm, who you still got to watch, and watch DeAndre Swift. All right. Uh, two more. The next game we want to talk about is Notre Dame versus Louisville. Notre Dame's an interesting one in general. Um and Louisville, boy, they were so good with Lamar Jackson just a couple seasons ago. They fell off so hard last year. Um, 
you know, I want to see if Notre Dame can maintain the level they had last year on offense. And uh, I'll be interested to watch the, the defense. Guys like Julian Okawara, their edge rusher, will be intriguing here. So that's another game that you'll want to watch on Saturday. Okay, one more game. Uh, Utah. Talent on the offensive line for Notre Dame that's worth monitoring too. Monitoring too. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Now we got it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Utah State plays Wake Forest. And this is kind of an opportunity for Jordan Love. Yeah, big opportunity. Um, I, I don't think a lot of our listeners might be too, too familiar with Jordan Love because he's playing at Utah State, but this is one of the most talented quarterbacks in the entire country. I could easily make a case that he's already a better prospect than Justin Herbert. Uh, I'm admittedly not super high on Herbert, so take that with a grain of salt. But him being able to play against some Power 5 competitions starting in Week 1 is going to be a big test. This will be a big year for him to monitor. All right, that's going to do it for the second segment. But I'm excited now to tell you about some game-changing coffee. StravaCraft is the CBD-enriched coffee that has really changed lives. The reviews are incredible, so check them out. This CBD-infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS. It has helped decrease anxiety you name it. CBD is all natural and not psychoactive. The coffee is rich and tasty, and we couldn't recommend it more to our listeners. Check it out for yourself today and receive 20% off when you use code BSN2019 at checkout, and you will get it shipped straight to your door. Back in for the final segment of the first BSN draft podcast of 2019, and we missed a game. We want to talk just a little bit about Oklahoma and Houston before we move on to Andre's big board. Yeah, um, two really fascinating quarterback prospects in this game. Derek King for Houston, who's getting some Kyler Murray comps because he's got a live arm man, athletic but undersized, and plays for you know a smaller conference team in Houston. So his game against Oklahoma is going to be huge. And then on the other side, Jalen Hurts. Is this going to be another game where Lincoln Riley can develop a transfer QB into a Heisman and top pick overall? Uh, you know, Hurts' numbers in 2018 when he played in spot duty for Tua, really impressive. I think he was completing 70% of passes. He came in and saved Alabama's season in that SEC championship against Georgia. He's not lacking for arm talent. Um, the the throws, especially in that Georgia game, you watch the throws he's making as he's uh, getting out of the pocket and having to throw off balance or on the run. He's slinging it, man. He's just he's seen as more of a, a dual threat. So it'll be interesting to see him in this offense, especially with top prospects at wide receiver like CeeDee Lamb and um, Grant Calcaterra, I think, is their tight end slash receiver. Um, so in general, those two will, those two will be really interesting to follow. Yeah, I agree. I think Jalen Hurts going to Oklahoma is probably my favorite storyline of college football this season, just because it's so it's so yeah. intriguing to see a guy who is in such a great system in Alabama who really did his job, right. and we we haven't seen much from Alabama quarterbacks in the past. You know, he kind of was the transitional guy setting up. Tua Tagovailoa turning this into a big offensive powerhouse. 
What happens when right. he isn't with Nick Saban? What happens when he goes to Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley, who honestly seems like a better fit for the guy, if we're being totally honest? I mean, if you're an offensive player, Lincoln Riley's <laughs> yeah, like the best fit right. out there. I mean, there's no hotter commodity in coaching outside of maybe Nick Saban in the football universe. Like, the NFL couldn't get Lincoln Riley if they wanted to. No. I mean, unless he says, hey, I'm tired of winning Big 12 championships, I want a better challenge. But uh, Lincoln Why? Riley's it, man. Yeah, he so. is. He is. Uh, now we want to go through uh, – we aren't going to talk about every player on Andre's big board because there are 50 of them, and that yeah. is just absurd. So we're going to pick a couple of position groups – to talk about and we're going to start with the linebackers because uh dylan moses the inside linebacker from alabama yeah he's out for the season he needs knee surgery which which shifts around a lot of things in this draft because according to andre he was the 12th ranked prospect yeah he was i've bumped him down to 17 that fall will probably continue We'll see if he can have a Miles Jack-type renaissance once he hit the pros. You know, Jalen Smith just got paid a ton. He did. We remember what happened to him at Notre Dame and how uh, his athleticism, athleticism kind of got sapped there uh, for a season or two, but he got back to being a high-level player. Where This is really a bummer. I mean, this is a guy I was comparing to Devin White when we like compared my top 10 to Todd McShay's top 10 a couple weeks ago on this uh, with you and I on the bus pod, at least. So check that out if you missed it. We've, we've already done some, we some have. draft talk. This so one's uh, just the first one's called the Draft Podcast. Right, right. So check those out because uh, we've definitely touched on some of this stuff. It's It's just such a bummer. For the Broncos, which are one of those teams that's looking for that inside linebacker after passing on Devin Bush a year ago, and it just wasn't a super loaded class. It was Dylan Moses, Isaiah Simmons for Clemson, who I've mentioned um, in that Clemson game preview. And, and that's kind of it. It's a big jump off, and then there's guys like Patty Fisher at Northwestern and Troy Dye and these kind of guys. Uh, Nate Landman's in that group, Nate too. Landman is. But, you know, they, they don't get you as excited and they're not guys who you feel like oh man they really fit in a fanjo style defense sideline to sideline all the athleticism in the world to cover and stuff moses was that guy simmons is that guy it's such a bummer man he's one of my favorite players to watch in this class um and it just stinks it, it just does stinks it does stink and you, if, if you're a broncos fan you just have to hope i mean look at the silver lining maybe he's a guy that the Broncos can draft in the second round, the yes, third round, please. depending on how this fall goes. Yeah. If there are other no. linebackers who do look like good options behind him who step up this year. But yeah, it just sucks. That's really all you can say. Yeah. And I mean, it, for a college football topic at large, how does this change Alabama's defense? Who's now <sighs> lost their defensive play caller, the quarterback of their defense. Like it, it won't be the same. We know does, that. Right. How does this change matchups against Georgia's super powerful uh, offense or Clemson's like all-world offense? This really changes things drastically. So it's uh, it's just a bummer all around for pro fans, college fans, everyone, man. It is. Yeah. It really is disappointing. Uh, I think that's it for our linebacker talk to yeah. start. Uh, yeah. So let's move on and talk about 
these receivers because that's a spot where it is really interesting. You know, I have Jerry Judy, one of the best receivers to come out of college football in the last few years. LaVisca Chenault, the most unique receiver to come out of college football in who knows how long. And then a bunch of other guys, C.D. Lamb, uh, T. Higgins, so many options all the way down through this list. How do the top guys stack up to you, Andre? Judy's just so impressive. And this guy, I mean, to me, both of those guys are top five talents because they're so electric, such game breakers, you know, uh, mismatch problems. Uh, coaches love having guys like this, and they stay up at night having to go against guys like this. It just changes the, the balance of a football game, having a miss, just a walking mismatch like those two. C.D. Lamb is an absolute physical freak. Uh, he's another top one, top five talent to me. Then you have a bunch of burners in like Jalen Rigar out of TCU, Henry Ruggs out of Alabama, another like stud. Alabama's offense and Clemson's offense are so high powered. T. Higgins is in that mix as well at Clemson. We've kind of hinted at him before. Tillon Wallace had an amazing season for Oklahoma State last year. I expect big things from him. Colin Johnson big-bodied wide receiver out of Texas. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones in a big season for Michigan could really be a stud. Another big wide out, um, always within the Pac-12. Michael Pittman is a real stud, the big wide receiver for USC, who might not even be the best wide receiver on his team, but he's the best draft-eligible draft wide receiver for his team. Uh, then you have, um, who am I forgetting, Denzel Mims, burner from Baylor with size for days. Uh, it's just such an exciting class. And for teams like the Broncos who... If they lose Emmanuel Sanders, they right. need another young receiver, even though they already have so many. Right. A lot of question marks on that receiving core. Having one of these studs would really change the dynamic of that offense and could set Drew Luck up for some real success down the road. So that's a, it's a great position group. It could be a historic wide receiver draft. How many receivers do you think get picked in the first round? If you had to set the over-under. If, if I said we're setting the line at five and a half, you're saying more or less. Five and a half, well done. That's where you would set the over-under. I might go over. Really? Yeah. That's a lot of receivers. Over. Absolutely. But, you know, I think there's a thirst for wide receivers in the league. I mean, we saw guys like John Brown and Cole Beasley get, like, overpaid. This offseason. John Brown and Cole Beasley, Henry. <laughs> <laughs> those, aren't, those aren't guys yeah. who get you really excited. Yeah, these aren't guys that were exactly flying off the board in our fantasy draft last weekend, you know? So, Not at all. Um, when you're paying guys like that, third wide receivers, a bunch of money, you see all these studs who profile as true number one receivers, they're going to go early and often in the first round of the draft. All right. We can't wrap up the first ever draft pod without talking about the quarterbacks. That's what the whole draft is about. You know, if you can find your quarterback, then that's kind of like nothing better can happen for mm -hmm. your team. This is an interesting year. Tua Tagovailoa has been tagged as the number one guy for about a year now. We've been saying yeah. he's, he's next up. He is that number one pick in 2020. But behind him you have, you know, Justin Herbert is an option. Uh, Sam Ellinger down in Texas. Yeah. Jordan Love, who we've mentioned already. Yeah. I'm big on Kellen Mond out of Texas A&M. Oh, really? 
Jimbo Fisher intrigues me as a guy who can develop quarterbacks, plays more of a pro-style offense, so you like that fit. Mond really stood out to me in that Clemson game they played last year. That's coming up week two, I believe. So that's already a huge game for the draft pod. Athletic, requisite size, has the arm talent. I'll be watching him closer. I think I'm higher on him than most. Um, And yeah, you know, the, then you've got the the unexpected question marks like the Derek Kings and the Jalen Hurts. It's a fun class, man. I think it's being a little overhyped just because there are some some unknowns. We really gotta see what's what's gonna come. Uh, Nate Stanley's in that group too from Iowa. Sh- shoot, uh, Stephen Montez from Colorado's there. Uh, we've talked about how Stephen has all the natural talent. It's just a matter of putting it together and becoming going past being just a first read quarterback. Uh, he does that. He could go very high in the draft as well. So a lot of talent, but uh, we're going to see some guys kind of the, the cream rise to the top. And we're going to see a lot of guys prove to just be a uh, preseason hype and not much more than that. Do you want to run through your top five quarterbacks before we head out? As of now, this could change by the time I publish this, but um, <laughs> that's, I mean, we're still figuring this all out. Tua's definitely not my number one. Louisa Leftian, as our uh, great colleague, Ryan Koningsberg, who I know has meant so much to both of our careers, will say it's interesting there is no lefty quarterbacks in the NFL, even as backups left anymore right now. So how will the NFL feel about that? Because, you know, the, the NFL, they get... God, they're just like such crotchety old men sometimes, yeah. these coaches. It's like, bah, I don't want to have to adjust my O-line for a lefty. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they adjust. You know, the guy has all the talent in the world. He gets injured too often. He doesn't have prototypical size, and he's way too much of a gunslinger risk taker. So how's he adjust? How's to adjust there? Herbert is just barely second with Jordan Love nipping at his heels. Um Week one will be huge for both of them, as we mentioned earlier in the pod. Uh, Utah State going against Wake, Oregon going against Auburn. Shortly after that, I have Kellen Mond and Sam Ellinger right there, neck and neck, the two Texas quarterbacks. Look, I think Ellinger needs to show he's a better passer and be more consistent, but boy, the talent's all there, and I've told you all about Mond. I think he's really good. And I'm quietly intrigued by both Derek... um, there King and Jalen Hurts. But against my better judgment, I have those guys slotted just behind Jake Fromm. So that's kind of huh. how those tiers break down. That's pretty high for Jalen Hurts, though, right? You know, mm, sure, you know, sure he's successful, yeah. but he doesn't fit the NFL mold. He doesn't. I mean, we got to see what he does, um, what he does in Oklahoma and see if that spot duty at Alabama last year was just a mirage or a sign of better things to come. And don't, don't, uh, one guy I haven't mentioned after having listed off a bunch of quarterbacks is KJ Costello out of Stanford. Jacob Eason's in that group too. I haven't even ranked Jacob Eason. I don't know where to put him because as a last time I saw him play was like 2016 as a true freshman at Georgia. Yeah. And, I mean, sure, I saw a couple flashes, but the guy never struck me as. Like, like if I'm low on Steven Montez, I'm uh, – are the kids still saying hella? 
Can yeah, I, say I think hella? they are. All right, I'm I mean, still, we are. I'm hella low on Jacob Eason. Um, <laughs> thank you, thank you for giving <laughs> your approval on that as yeah. the as the kid here. Um, because yeah, it's it's just like we gotta see. It's gotta come out. Allie just broke in and is smiling at me for asking you if hella is something the kids <laughs> still say. Is hella allowed, Allie? Oh, she's coming over. She's coming over. I feel like hella is a very like California, like Northern California expression. Oh, well, I can hang with that. Oh yeah. I got married in Vans. I can I can pull I that ju- off. I just think it's funny that Henry was like, "Oh yeah, I think the kids are." I mean, I think that's <laughs> what I were saying. Yeah, I think right, so. Right. I think I might try to pull that. One. I'll I'll break that out tonight at the Bronco game and see how it plays. There you go. Yeah. You're an old soul already, Hank. I love that I about am. you. I am 22. Wow. Well, congrats <laughs> to you. You want to make some picks? I think we should make some picks. I think of the games we've said, unless you're f- you're in an upset state of mind, and we can go through the schedule and pick an upset if you have one handy. I guess Utah State beating Wake would be an upset, but I don't really see it that way. Um, to me, it's like chalk on every game. Or could Auburn pull off the upset and beat Oregon? Because I think Oregon is the favorite. I think so, too. I mean, we could just start at the top of the list. Utah-BYU, I think you got to go Utah. Yeah. Uh, Georgia Tech-Clemson, I think you got to go Clemson. Mm. Okay. Okay, I like it. Oregon-Auburn, that's a big one. It's a big one. I think that this is kind of the rubber match of all these. That's gonna, really I'm the gonna, one toss. I'm going to go Oregon. Interesting. Auburn is the three and a half point favorites despite being um, the lower ranked team. It just goes to show you. Ah. I mean, neutral site. This yeah. this one's in Dallas, Texas? I believe so. I think yeah, it's, it's Dallas. At, at the Palace Jerry built. As I think known. so. Yeah. So, I mean, you'd expect more Auburn fans than Oregon, but... You know, neutral site. I, I I still just feel more comfortable with Oregon. You do, huh? I do. Yeah, I think Auburn gets them. Well, there we go. I'm not a believer. I just, just not a believer. Can your big sky team in eastern Washington upset Washington? Boy, that would be terrible for the Pac-12. No. No, they cannot. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> no, they cannot. But next week when the Grizzlies play Oregon. Mm, are we calling an upset there? No, Oregon's going to win by 50. I will, I will be excited. I will let you know when prepping for this show, I did look at the Big Sky schedule and was like, ah, do we have any good ones? Any uh, any upsets that Hank can call? Your Grizz are playing SDAK. Is that South Dakota? South Dakota, yeah. South Dakotans aren't Anything good there? at abbreviations. Now, there's a linebacker that's intriguing, though. Dante Olson. Dante Olson. My guy. Of Montana. My guy. He could fill that void left by this weaker linebacker class. He huh. could. I guess this is really big for him, isn't it? He's a super smart kid, very big, very athletic, probably the best pro prospect to go through Montana since Trumaine Johnson. Yeah. I think since Trumaine Johnson. Yep. Uh, really exciting. Really great guy. I've spent a lot of time with him, obviously, being at Montana. Tackling machine. Tackling machine, yeah. Uh, Does he have the cover skills? That's the question. Led the nation. Um, that is the question. Yeah. You know, he has a little Nate Landman. I'm sorry to keep interrupting you. I'm just so excited to talk. Oh, I'm excited too. Yeah. He uh, 
that that is the question whether he has the cover skills because he is very athletic for being 6'3", 235 would right. be my guess for his size and averaging like 15 tackles a game it's absurd like when you yes. when you watch him you're just like oh my goodness nobody's getting free he can hit he can like he, he can bring down little guys he can bring down yeah. big guys like he, he, he's an incredible tackler mm. one of the best in this class i'd say and but again, instinctive flies what does the downhill. Cover look right. like? And and again, FCS competition. Fifteen years ago, he might still go high, but now you gotta yep. have the cover skills. Exactly. And so I'm gonna be watching. First of all, South Dakota this weekend. Excited for that game. I think South Dakota's a three point favorite. Mm. So it's okay. on on the road. So it means they're pretty balanced teams. Okay. Montana needs to get off to a hot start. Big Sky Conference isn't what it used to be, but it's still very strong. That'll be fun. But then next week, Oregon. Lots of people watching. What will he do there? That's going to be huge for him. Yeah, and you wonder, will they be let down from an, a loss at Auburn, as I'm predicting, and overlook Montana and then make that too close? I sure hope so. I sure hope That's so. Exciting. I sure hope so. We should make plans to watch that game together. Oh, we should. Yeah. Uh, Nebraska Day, right? Oh, well, never, so never mind. Maybe not. We will be together watching, <laughs> we will be together. watching college football, well, we but be. not that game in particular. No. We I don't know. Maybe the times will work out well Houston, for us. Oklahoma is a Sunday game. Notre Dame-Louisville is a Monday game. We mentioned the Thursday games you won't catch. And, of course, the Rocky Mountain Showdown is on Friday. Cannot wait for that. Who's your pick there? Oh, <laughs> I got the buffs, man. <laughs> it's got yep. yeah. I am interested to see what Warren Jackson can do, the big wide out really? for CSU. I mean, I feel like I like him just because of the pedigree that Colorado State has with receivers. Well, and he's like got that bumps him up a level. Absolutely, and he's got the size, like size for days. He's Preston Williams, like big, and he showed up at in the Alabama game like two years ago. So since then, he's developed, but he's always been overshadowed by all these other guys on the squad. Now it's his time. This might be – Rams fans are hoping this is the best quarterback they've had since Garrett Grayson. We'll see if that's the case, but Colin Hill intrigues me. And I expect Mustafa Johnson and Nate Landman to really dominate. Me too. Both those guys are just on the outside of my top 50. Um, so, you know, they have big seasons. They could do big things in this draft as well. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm really excited. Yeah. I feel like this is a great first show, and we'll be back next week to talk even more about the draft – uh, that's it. See you next week. Thanks, guys.